Welcome to Modern Ancestral Mamas, a podcast for mamas created by mamas. We discuss ancestral food, cooking, feeding our families, and holistic living with the everyday modern mom. We are Corey and Christine, two mamas on a mission to nourish our families holistically while keeping it real in today's crazy world. Follow us on this adventure and enjoy the stories and information we share. Today's episode is sponsored by the Nurtured Foundations online course. The Nurtured Foundations course is a podcast style course to teach parents how to start solids with their baby. Are you a parent with a child from zero to 24 months? Well, then this online course is for you. This is a comprehensive course that empowers parents to start solid foods in a confident and safe way and raise adventurous and healthy eaters from the start. We cover topics such as when to start solids, the most nutrient-dense foods to feed your babies, recipes, troubleshooting, how to prevent picky eating, and so much more. If you want information on this course, go to nourishthelittles.com and click on the link, Nurtured Foundations Online Course. You can also find a link to the Nurtured Foundations Online Course on my Instagram bio. Click on the link and look for Nurtured Foundations Online Course. Welcome back to Modern Ancestral Mamas. This is Christine from Nourish the Littles, and I'm joined by my co-host, Corey, from For Nutrient's Sake. And in today's episode, we are interviewing a very special guest who has been a wonderful mentor and friend to Corey and I as we began this podcast journey together. And I thought it might be fun to give her bio before announcing who she is to see if any listeners out there can guess who we're going to be interviewing today. So go ahead, Corey, see if you can, yeah, share the bio. Okay. All right. Um, All right. Our guest today is an experiential anthropologist, think Dora the Explorer 2.0, that travels the world, like Mongolia, Peru, Ecuador, Kenya, Australia, uncovering traditional practices to restore energy and vitality today. She shares the best of experts' experiences and epic adventures on the Wise Traditions podcast, her YouTube channel, and on Ancestral Health Tours, conferences, and retreats. She's also a podcast coach and the author of Podcasting Made Simple. She especially enjoys helping people in the health and wellness space launch and improve their shows. She is also known for her joyful and positive outlook on life and has energy to spare. Thanks for her love of sunshine and liverwurst. All right. So you guys have probably guessed it by now. So it is with great, great, great pleasure that we introduce Hilda Labrada Gore to our podcast today. Yay! Yay! <laughs> is it weird for me to say yay? I'm so happy. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Yeah. Um, so Hilda is the the podcast uh, producer and the host for the Wise Traditions podcast. 
And so today, normally, well, normally we start off all of our episodes with a question, Hilda, and we'll ask, we'll just kind of like go around and we'll ask a question and each of us will respond to it. And uh, we thought it would be funny to ask you and everyone, if you could do one thing to improve your health, what would it be? Oh my gosh. That is such a great question. I'm kind of kidding because I always pose that one at the end of my show. Um, No, it is a great question because I like to be applicable. I don't like to just be theoretical. Like, let's talk about how to feed children, Mm, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, no, like, let's talk the nitty gritty when it's like they say the arsenic hour. You either want to take it or give it to your kids because you're just going crazy trying to get the meal on the table. Um, So to answer the question, really? Oh, the one thing you can do to improve your health? Oh, I think it has to do with the spiritual. It has to do with the fact that we're not just flesh and blood. And I'm glad that I can mention it on this podcast because you're mamas, so you know your children are not just nourished by the food that you put on the table. It's how you interact with them. It's how you love them. It's kind of an intangible spirit that you embody but hopefully also that you invite into your home. So I'm a Christian and I believe in the Holy Spirit. And everywhere I've traveled around the world, indigenous people groups revere the great spirit by different names, of course, but they're all understanding that there's more to this life than meets the eye. And so I think it's really important to seek that out so that you can be well nourished on a invisible spiritual level so you can nourish your families in turn. I love that. I couldn't agree more with it. I'm not sure how we're going to top that, Corey. (laughs) No, maybe we should have gone first. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want me to go next? Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Okay. Well, since you already said that, I think that covers that um, topic beautifully. Um, I'm actually going to say something kind of different, too. I'm going to say play. Uh, even as adults, we sometimes we lose our sense of playfulness. And I think that if we can do one thing to improve our health, our health, it's to play more, whether that's playing with our kids, whether that's finding forms of play for ourselves, um, whatever that might look like, but sort of just like letting go and being silly and playing. Um, yeah, that's what I'm going to say. Okay. Playing is really hard for me. I will be totally honest. Like that is a really hard, I'm a rather serious person. Like, (laughs) but I, I mean, I think that's really good advice. I'm just going to be totally honest. It's very hard for me. And I'm not the kind of person that likes to sit down and play with my kids. Like, I know that sounds mean, but that's totally the truth. Um, I do love, like, I'll sit down and read with them that I love doing, Mm. but like sitting and being silly is, I can be silly for about two and a half minutes. And then I, I don't know, maybe I just get self-conscious about it, but I'm like, nope, too much. And now I'm done being silly. Um, anyway. Okay. Well, I feel like I have nothing to add to this conversation aside from my own, (laughs) (laughs) my own self-deprecation and that one. Um, I started, I started so heavy. Like, how are you going to top spirituality and God? You know, like that's so heavy. But it's not, it's not about topping. It's like, what do you really do? What do you really do, Corey, 
to boost your own health? I, okay. At this point in my life, I think, and I think that there's, this is a very, um, I'm going to go selfish on it, right? For my own personal self, I think, and maybe this actually applies to my kids too, but they're, because our family is together all the time, you know, because we homeschool and we live on our own acreage that we don't have, like, my kids can't go outside and play with friends anymore. Um, They go outside and play with each other, which is great, but I mean, we're just like around each other all the time. And I think that it is important for all of us to kind of have our own little thing. Um, like for me, I was just I was just telling you guys before we started recording, like my thing right now is this podcast and is what I do on Instagram and connecting with my with the community that we're kind of building on Instagram and um you know, creating recipes to put there and on my blog and that kind of thing. And it's really important for me to have that. And the other day, this is, this is similar, um, connected to the same idea. Like I started reading, or I, I started implementing a, um, reading hour and it didn't, wasn't really an hour is more like 20 minutes where everybody had to go in their room, each little, each child. So I have a 11 year old, a nine year old, a five year old and a two and a half year old. And the deal was that everybody had to go in their own little space and um, either listen to an audiobook or read a book. And I read my own book and everybody else did their own thing. And it really, the two-year-old only lasted for, you know, like five or six minutes before she brought me a book and I read to her. But it was like, it, I, I'm not even kidding. I texted my uh, friend and I was like, do this you need to do this because everybody came out of that 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes with like a renewed energy to be around each other. Mm. Um, and I, I, yeah, I will say I was reading a theological book. So maybe that goes back to your thing, Hilda. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. What's so cool about all of our pieces of advice is I think they're good for us and for the kids. Like playing is amazing. It lifts our spirit. Even if you don't want to be silly, just like running around and doing what you love and then reading and yeah, seeking God, like those things are good for us. And then it all trickles down. It's so amazing. Yeah. And Corey, I think that's why I I said play can look different for each person because for example, uh, I don't particularly enjoy playing soccer with my son, but if we're at a playground I will run around on the jungle gym and play on the jungle gym and like climb the rocks and stuff. Like I actually think that playgrounds are really fun (laughs) places Um, or, you know, I don't know, like playing tag. I enjoy, Uh, but soccer, not so much. (laughs) (laughs) It hurts my foot to kick the ball. (laughs) But anyway, um, I feel like somebody listening is being like, Christine, you're using your foot incorrectly. Oh, I know I'm kicking that ball incorrectly. I'm you're supposed to kick it with the side of your foot and I'm kicking it with the front of the foot. But it feels oh, so yeah, weird no. to kick it with the side of my foot. So anyway. To... <laughs> okay. We're like, we bring it back in, guys. Um <laughs> all right. Hilda, can you share with us? I mean, we read 
a bio, but can you share with us your story, like how you found um, the West May Price Foundation? Um, where did your health journey start? I know, you know, you have a big, long story, but can you can you share with us your <laughs> your um, elevator pitch of it, right? Yes, yes, it is a long story. It starts before I was born. So that's why you're like, can you please condense it? (laughs) Um, But you all know, but maybe not everybody does that I was born with a birth defect. And I guess this is one reason I just feel like life is so precious. Because before I was born, the doctors had a feeling I might have a defect because my mom had low vitamin A levels, which can lead to issues with the baby, but also she was exposed to the German measles. And so they were like, your baby, they told my mom is going to be born unable to hear or speak or see. And they even recommended abortion, which at the time, I'm not even sure was legal, but um, she was like, no, I'm going to have this baby. And I'm just so grateful because no one can determine, especially before life begins, in my opinion, the quality of that life or the worth of that life. So I came out and there was nothing apparent to the naked eye, but it was a heart murmur. It was a hole in my heart. And so for years, the doctors monitored me. And then when I was nine years old, they literally cracked me open, performed open heart surgery, and then like sewed me back up and were like, okay, you can do whatever you want. And until that time, I was like kind of a nervous kid, like afraid to do too much. I was afraid my heart was going to explode. I didn't know what would happen. And then they gave me a new lease on life. And I was like, what do I want to do? So the first thing I want to do was to thank God, literally, because I was like, okay, it could have been much worse. And I felt like he used the surgeon's skill to save my life. And then one time a doctor told me the cross wasn't necessarily like this. It could have been like a T, which is the big scar on my chest. So that represented to me like being marked by God. I mean, it's just a beautiful kind of spiritual thing. But so my desire at that time was to honor my body as a temple and then to help other people do the same. So I started out just in the fitness world and I was leading exercise classes a bunch of times a week and that was great. And I thought nothing about nutrition. And I even feel like I just fed my kids like a a stick diet, like pretzel sticks, carrot sticks and fish sticks. Like that's, (laughs) I was just like, whatever, (laughs) toss anything in front of them. It's good enough. I really, you know, was just doing the best I could, but I also... I just had no concept of how to nourish well. And then a good friend of mine had chronic fatigue and all these issues. And she was like, Hilda, I met this lady, Sally Fallon Morell, the head of the Western Price Foundation. She's older, but she's like glowing with health. And she started talking to me about diet and gave me her book. So when my friend started whispering in my ear, I thought, why didn't I think of this before? Of course it matters how we nourish ourselves and our children because you've got to put the right fuel in the tank for the car to go, right? So the same thing with our bodies. And I started slowly but surely changing our family's diet. And I always feel like it's like I took a page from the Chinese calendar because they have, you know, the year of the dragon, the year of the ox. I was like, okay, this will be the year of butter. Like it was slow, gradual change. First, it was one year with more butter replacing margarine. Then the next year was like, get the chips out of the cabinet and the seed oils, you know, and I did things little by little. And some people said, oh, didn't your kids start complaining because you were feeding them healthy? No, they were thrilled. It was such a change from the stick diet, you know, and they were just so happy. And I was too, because I was nourished. And when you're well nourished, it's like you're high all the time. I mean, I really, Sally Fallon says it all the time, and I really believe it. Those endocannabinoids, those feel-good chemicals are surging through your body because of those healthy, saturated animal product fats. And it's like, wow, where have you been all my life? So I'm just, I'm so thankful. And the funny thing is, I mean, I could keep going even 
on a greater level, I had more energy from my exercise classes. I had more energy and stamina for my family. And I'm just, I never looked back. And that was probably about 15 years ago now. Oh, wow. So were you, were your kids older then? Well, um, I'm trying to think. No, they ranged. I had my four kids in five years. I was like an accordion with my, Whoa. you know, my womb was like expanding and contracting and oh expanding. And contracting. I just, I really, I was one of those people who kind of just did not want to have a kid in elementary school and another one in high school. And I didn't know anything about spacing. So I was like, let's just have these kids and be done with it. <laughs> um, so we did. Um, but it was a lot. And so I think they were about like, let's say, 13, 11, 9, and 7 or something. And I had them all really close together. And so interestingly, the older two, maybe their palettes were already shaped some or something. They are not as into it now today as young adults as the younger two. The younger two like are like, mom, my stomach hurts. What should I do? Like they're still checking in with me and stuff. I'm like, I love this castor oil pack to the rescue, you know, all these <laughs> crunchy things I never would have thought of before. But it's really, it's encouraging. They all to a certain degree, you know, respect what I'm doing. Um, but the younger two are much more interested because it started for them a little bit younger. Wow. What a fun story. That's, <laughs> that's so cool. Um, so, you know, you mentioned a little bit about how you fed your kids when you were a young mom, the stick diet. I love that. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, when in doubt, yeah. Uh, but can you talk to us a little bit about being a mom as the calm in the eye of the storm. So you mentioned that earlier. Yes, yes. I think it's really important to be that non-anxious presence. And you guys, I didn't used to be like that. I was a person, if there was an emergency, I would have been like running around screaming while everyone else was tending to the wounded. Like I'm just, I'm a, I was a high energy, but a slightly anxious energy kind of person. And when my diet changed, Broth, I think, really leveled me out. And Sally Fallon Morell says this too. She says, broth is like, um, it evens you out. If you're, you've got that nervous energy, it kind of calms you down. And if you've got low energy, it brings you up to the right level. And so having more nourishing food in my diet, including broth, like I mentioned, the fats, the butter, um, satiating nutrient-dense foods, not just the carbs and seed oils and stuff. Um, I was more able to handle the stress of being a young mom. I mean, I totally remember those days and I have a few tips for how to manage it. Uh, but one thing I will say just right out of the gate is, um, yeah, do your best to nourish your family as well. Obviously, you guys are about that. But also play to your strengths. Um, Corey, you said you love reading. I did too. I would go to the library and I would check out so many books. It was like four books per kid. So it was like 16 books. And they would say to me when I was checking them out, are you a teacher? And I was like, no, no. But of course I was a teacher. I just didn't know it at the time. Um, but I realized I like reading to my kids. So that's what I would do. If if you do like playing soccer, Christine, then play it to your heart's content. Like your kids will follow your lead and they also will kind of um, catch what you love. It's kind of infectious in a good way. Um, so I would say play to your strengths is one thing and then nourish yourself well. And that includes what you were talking about earlier, Corey, doing things that you love, because if you don't, if you try to deprive yourself sacrificially for your family, you're going to be a resentful mom and the kids are going to sense that too. 
So there is kind of a storm of activity swirling around you all day after day after day. And to keep your wits about you, you need to be grounded in faith, play to your strengths, and continue doing what you love. And um, let the rest go. I feel like I didn't start exerting my no muscle till years later. <laughs> I wish I hadn't been necessarily PTA president. And, you know, I'm a type A person. So it's like, oh, let me do this and let me do that and let me do everything. And I feel like saying no and focusing on the home is a beautiful thing. The calm in the eye of the storm is the hub. It's the hub. So moms are the hub of the home. Like, let's embrace that role. I stayed home with the kids. And then as they got older, I started doing a little part-time work. But I feel like my kids turned out amazing. And I'm not saying that to my credit. Like, I'm just so grateful. They turned out amazing in part because I just loved on them. I wasn't perfect. It wasn't the best food all the time. You know, all the things I already mentioned. But I love them. And I love them the best I could. And um, I was the calm in the eye of the storm as I grew in my faith and as I grew in my understanding of how to nourish myself well so I could manage all of the chaos. Can we, um, I need to ask you, do you, in the summer, do you drink um, hot broth? Like every, like if you're, are you drinking like a cup of broth every morning? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Tell I mean, me how you're doing this, especially in the summer, because listen, it is, what is this? April and it has already been like 80s, 70s and 80s for the past month <laughs> where I live now. <laughs> oh my gosh. So like a cup of hot broth in the morning sounds terrible. No, no girl, don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, I would love to say, oh, I'm super creative and I make broth popsicles, but it's not really true either. So I have broth in different ways. So I'll put broth in rice, right, instead of right. water. So we're getting the benefits that way. Or, um, yeah, we'll make like stir fry with the rice that's been in the broth. I mean, I guess I get more creative in the summer. Right now it's still spring in the D.C. area. So um, mostly we'll have broth in the winter. But I feel like the stabilizing effect of that, I don't know if it's its just getting the best of all the animal included. So it's all the things of the diet. I mentioned broth, but of course I do drink raw milk on the regular pretty much every day. Um, and I also have a lot of, you know, liverwurst, as you mentioned in the intro and just really satiating foods. And the best part about this is I can go longer between meals. Like I used to think, oh, I can't fast because I'm one of those people that's like borderline hypoglycemic. Like I get shaky if I feel my blood sugar dip. I thought it was just my constitution. But later I learned, oh, if I have like a solid breakfast of like bacon and eggs on a sprouted bagel and some raw milk, like I'm good till two, three, or I can even have that at noon. Like it's just wild to see how much more, again, stamina and energy I have. And that helps me manage everything that's going around, going on around me. I mean, there are other tools too. I could go on and on, but I also really believe this, that more is caught than taught. So if my kids see me, you know, being chaotic and tearing my hair out, I mean, that's okay. And I can apologize and we can move on. But if they see me also and, and experience me saying, Hey, you guys, just a minute, I need a timeout. I'm going to go outside, put my feet on the ground and breathe for a little bit. Um, they're going to observe that too. One of my biggest prayers when my kids were growing up, and they remember this so much, is, I don't know, 
I mean, it's a, a very challenging time to have the young kids, right? I was always like, Dios dame paciencia, Dios dame paciencia, God give me patience. And that's like the most recurring prayer they heard. That and a little blessing that I would sing to them as they went to sleep at night. But it's like, okay, those aren't bad angers, you know? I like that. Give me patience, Lord. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh man. I think I, I prayed that for a while. And then I was like, wait a minute. I don't want to be practicing patience. I just want you to just give it to me. Like, don't <laughs> don't make me practice getting there. I just want to automatically have it. Can we can we just get to the automatically being patient part? Wow, <laughs> that's so funny. I actually, okay, so you were talking about being like, you know, the the calm in the eye of the storm. This is something that I am is very challenging for me. Like I said, I'm a very high strung sort of like I'm type A, but I'm like very intense. Um, and <laughs> um, I, at one point had like, we were, we were at this point where in our family, and this is part of, this is the part of, okay, let me restart that. Part of our problem was we lived in apartments for a really long time in very small apartments and we did not have a dining table. Okay. So my two oldest, we grew up, they grew up up until they were about four and three and four, five and three around there without a dining table. And we would either, I would, my husband and I would sit on the couch and they would sit on the floor with a little like knee high table. Um, but we would never like eat together. So when we moved into our house, they were older and we started having family meals together and every single meal was like just a absolute bleep show. Like it was just this fight after fight after fight because I realized my kids didn't know how to sit and have a family meal, right? We had not trained them in this because we didn't do it. Um, and so it took us a long time and we had this chalkboard behind our, our, um, in our dining room on the wall and one at one point I just drew a peace sign on it <laughs> and I told, and my husband came, I was like, what is that about? And I was like, we are going to start having peaceful meals. And he was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I am not going to go through every single dinner with our family with this just being chaos, like, or just complete chaos. Like I'm just not going to do it. And he's like, okay, fine. Like I'm on board with whatever. Um, <laughs> God bless him. But I like, I remember every day I would see that peace sign and every single time that I saw it, I would say, you know, like, like Corey, this is on you. Like you're the one making this chaos. It is not your, you know, five-year-old and three-year-old. This is on you. And that, that is when like things started to sh shift and it really, I mean, I understand that it was, we needed to train them in how to eat together and everything, but it was also that I needed to learn how to give up like control of the table and the environment and whatever. And as soon as I took on that, almost just let go of all of the, of, of my expectations of what we were doing as a family at a table together, um, it finally became this sort of much more enjoyable, peaceful situation. And my kids were eating more. And um, anyway, I just think you're absolutely right in that whole, like finding your Zen, I guess, as a mom and your 
peaceful eye of the storm. I don't know. (laughs) Well, Hilda, you also talked about not making the dinner table or like the table where you eat at battlegrounds. Yes. Oh my gosh. And Corey, I think you even talked about this when you were on the Wise Traditions podcast, like always making sure there's something, at least one thing that each kid will eat. Um, But one thing we do or we did when our kids were little, um, and actually we still sometimes do, is we would go around the table and everybody would say a rose and a thorn, something that they enjoyed about their day and something that was harder. And so that kind of gave us something besides the food, you know, to focus on. And, oh my gosh, sometimes, you know, you're as an adult, you know, bored out of your mind, like it's going to be the same thing every day or (laughs) whatever. Sometimes we would do two truths and a lie, which is a little more fun too, where like people would say three things that they did in their day and we'd have to guess which one was not true. One was made up like, but my son would always do things like, I had one piece of pizza for lunch today. I had two pieces of pizza for one lunch today. (laughs) You're like, no, please. But again, it was just a little routine. We had opportunities where everyone got airtime and the food was part of the environment, but it wasn't the whole of it. And that's where it becomes less of a battleground. And I I get it when some parents say, I want to make sure my kid tries everything. Okay, you can have your little rules about it, but you just don't want it to be something that they're dreading. Like you started maybe in your spirit, Corey, right? To dread dinner, like, oh my gosh, it's always going to be chaos. And so that energy can be felt. So you want the kids to look forward to it. Um, and the other thing I was thinking about too is in terms of routine, is like for Sundays, for a while, my son actually didn't like going to church. So I don't recommend this for everyone, but we would stop at a little pastry shop and pick up donuts on the way. (laughs) This is before I knew about the wise tradition stuff, so everyone should give me a break. But I was trying to make it so he could associate church with something that he liked. And it worked because now he's like all into it, you know? So, um, but so, yeah, I think routines are good, positive routines that reinforce what you like and the spirit that you want at the table. And then the other secret we had, because we have four kids, just like you do, Corey, is um, we would try to have date time. So in other words, so that you're not putting out fires, whether it's at the dinner table or at other places in the home, every kid feels really secure and seen and heard when you carve out just a little time with them. And when I say a little time, I'm not kidding. Sometimes I'd be like, okay, our date is that we're going to walk the dog around the block you know, or, or whatever, you know, or our date is we're going to the grocery store and it's just me and Andrew or whatever. And it was challenging because you try to keep track and make sure you hit every kid once a week or whatever, but we did it. And we also made sure that my husband and I had our dates too, because again, it can become very transactional as parents. As you guys know, it's very businessy. Did you pack the soccer cleats for the after school game? And, you know, the next thing you know, your husband's going in one direction, you're going in the other. And literally, if you're not careful, you can easily drift apart and that can raise tension in the household as well. So we tried to make sure to date once a week and sometimes it would just be after the kids were in bed and we were going to watch something on TV or what have you. But we would go to lengths to find a babysitter to get out. And again, these are kind of ways to have your sanity, but also to keep peace in the home because you're feeling good yourself. I do think that's really important. Like, I guess what we're, we're, a lot of what we're talking about so far is just peace, peace in the home and peace in the home comes from so many different aspects, but making sure that you're 
finding how to do that for your own selves and for your for your partnership and for your um, relationship with your children. And this is all just so it's it is really important. And it's it's I don't know if I could say that it's more important than what you're eating, but maybe maybe yeah. it is. <laughs> and can I add something? I just for that mama who's like, oh, that just sounds so yeah, zen and flowy and great. But you know, you don't live in my shoes. Well, it's number one, it's true. I'm not in your shoes and in your household. But number two, I feel you, mama, because. I don't think it was supposed to be like this. If I can just preach for a second, I think we were supposed to be in larger communities. When I visit these other countries, everybody is all together. When I was in a Quechua village in Ecuador, like it's not just the mom and the dad and the two kids. You know, it's the mom and the dad and the grandmother and the cousin and like everyone's together. And so what happens in those scenarios is it's not all on your shoulders, mama, that you have to train your kid to do this or that. It's like grandma steps in to say, come, let's go milk the cow. And there's a sense of cooperative parenting that is just beautiful and a stress reliever. I don't think the moms of old were as stressed as we are because it was a part of They were part of a larger community where someone else would be holding the baby so that they could make the dinner. And right now, Mama, it's just all on you because we live in these strange, you know, I don't want to call them cells, but, you know, like these strange dwellings that are all separated out. And I just don't think it was supposed to be like that. So blessings on you. I, I pray for you. I think of you. I have compassion on you because I've been through it too and I know how hard it is. Um, so when it's possible, you need to find your own community. And we need to be intentional in a way that our ancestors did not because it was built in for them. But for us, we've got to find them. I was a part of a mom's group when my kids were growing up. I would, you know, have play dates. I mean, all the things you guys do, um, but it's really important because otherwise it's all on your shoulders and you just feel like, am I the only one that is so stressed right now and just fall into bed exhausted? And (laughs) I'll tell you one way I dealt with this. This makes me laugh to think about it. First of all, sometimes I would fall into bed just in my clothes. And I remember my husband saying to me one time, I love him dearly, but let me just say, he's like, you're lazy. And I was like, I was like shocked. I wasn't lazy. I was just wiped out because they take every little last bit of you, right? So that was one thing. But another thing that was smarter about what I did at night was sometimes, mamas, pick this up if you want to. And if you want to judge me, go ahead. But I would bathe my kids at night and dress them in their clothes for the next day. So they would wake up and they were ready to go to school. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was such a genius. And I actually think it was really smart. No. Yeah. I've actually heard of several parents doing that. Like to make the morning transition easier, they just put their clothes on for the, for the next day. It's brilliant. It's like, why not? They're not sweating or anything. They're just laying there. My mother-in-law thought I was crazy, but it worked. Yeah. My kids just wear pajamas all day anyway, so uh, yeah. it's, it's the same thing. <laughs> through homeschooling. I know. I actually do lay out my kids' clothes the night before. So every night it's laid out and they know exactly, and they don't care what I pick for them. Um, so like I just put it out and they put it on. And when we're on vacation, I forget and they'll come down and they're like, well, you didn't put our clothes out. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, you can open the drawer and pick something out yourself, you know? <laughs> That's, That's why so your funny. kids are so cute. 
My kids wear like the craziest outfits and I cannot figure out how moms have like cute dress kids. It's because you pick their clothes for them. That's so much smarter. My kids are over here wearing like Tinkerbell costumes. Oh, girl, don't worry. Sassy still comes down with like 10 bows in her hair and goes to school. (laughs) Aw, there's style. I hope they never lose that. I want to wear Tinkerbell wings and a little glittery skirt. Oh, well, I mean, if you come over here, I've got tons of dress up clothes. So, okay, great. That's right. You used to be a costume designer. I love it. to my kids' size, so you could probably wear some of them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. So, I know we have had a lot of people ask us. you know, because we, we had um, Renee Coley on a couple of, I don't know how many episodes ago it was, but she talked about um, feeding teenager, tweens and teenagers. But what we didn't touch on on that episode and what we've gotten a lot of questions about since then is if you don't start your kids as babies and toddlers on this nourishing traditions, nourishing foods, however you want to put it, lifestyle food stuff like if you've started on the sticks diet how do you get them to a more nutrient dense diet you know like you said your kid your oldest was like 13 or something when you yeah. started this that's that's much harder it is a little harder but i did kind of what you talk about a lot Corey, the simple swap i would just upgrade a like regular meal and make it with a nutrient dense food. Like one of our favorite meals, we literally had this once a week when my kids were like in the tween years was BLTs with banana milkshakes. So how do we do it? We had raw milk and banana, maybe some ice cubes, a little honey and vanilla extract. Like that was the banana milkshake. And then the BLT was sourdough bread with butter and bacon and mayonnaise and lettuce and tomatoes. And it was like such a hit. It was so good. I'm now I'm craving it. But um, <laughs> So <laughs> I really am. Oh gosh, I haven't had that in a long time. But anyway, um, so yeah, so we that was a staple. And then like we would make hamburgers and I would have ground beef with the organ meat mixed in. So I wasn't the queen of making liver. I'm still not the queen of doing that. But I found creative ways to make the dishes that they were familiar with in ways that were palatable and they loved. And it got to the point where I'm pretty sure even the oldest actually said to me, gosh, when I eat out, the hamburgers just don't taste as good, mom. It tastes like dog food out there. (laughs) I was like, thank you. Because this is what I realized. You know, when detectives are trying to identify counterfeit money, the way they identify counterfeit money is by studying the real thing. So like they go to the U.S. Mint and the Treasury and they're studying the real $100 bill. So then they'll easily recognize a counterfeit. That's what happens with our kids. When we're feeding them the good stuff, even when they're older, mamas don't give up because they will soon be able to detect like this doesn't taste very good. Or I thought this was good when I was little and now I just don't have a taste for it at all because their palates will be shaped, of course, easier when they're younger, but it still happens when they get older. That is such a great analogy. (laughs) I love that. Um, Yeah, actually, that kind of makes me think a few nights ago, we had some guests over and we normally eat organ meats on Monday. And I I try to not do that to my guests, but they were staying here for a while and we would have been, we would have gone like two, two and a half weeks without organ meats. So I was like, all right, 
So I made meatballs um, and I did two pounds regular ground beef and one pound of Force of Nature's Ancestral Blend, which is not very much, okay? But so it has liver and uh, heart in it. And they're all eating the meatballs. And at one point, one of the guests says, man, these are so good. What is in these meatballs? And I was just like, I mean, you know, spices and like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. And... And he's like, but but there's a there's a very unique flavor about these, and I was just cracking up in my head, like, oh boy, do I say something? I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and then but we would do the totally classic. It. That's funny. We would do the classic. Uh, Sally Fallon is big on meatloaf too, where you can just kind of squeeze in the organ meats there, and of course you top it with bacon. So it's just absolutely delectable. Um, yeah, and. Some people, you don't have to go with force of nature. I love force of nature, uh, but it's in Texas and there's a shipping cost and all this. So if people are on a budget, um, sometimes, I don't know if you guys have mentioned this on your show before, but there's farmmatch.com, which I joke around. It's like Tinder for farms, but literally <laughs> like when you go on that site, you can find out what farms deliver in your area and a local farm in my area will mix organ meats in their ground beef. And so it's just so much easier because I don't have to like grind anything up and stick it in in the right proportions. It's like all done for you. So it just has a, that slight, maybe gamey taste from some of the organ meats, but it's like all good to go. I love that so much. I'm so glad you brought up Farm Match. I actually don't think we've ever talked about it on the show. And the founder... Yeah, no, we did on our um, on our sourcing episode, like oh. way back, way, way, oh, way okay. back. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, the founder is um, would deliver to Chicago. So like I, I met him. Um, ah, Max Kane. He's an interesting yeah, Max guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's fascinating. He's such a fun, fun guy. Um. But yeah, Janine Farzine introduced me to Max Kane, and then I became a drop site in Chicago. Um, my house did because I was lazy and I didn't want to have to go pick it up. And uh, so ever he would deliver to my house once a week. And it was to this day, it's the best raw milk I've had in my life is the milk from the farms in the that greater area. Mm. Um, but yeah, so highly recommend Farm Match. And that's what, that's what we used to use when we lived in Maryland too. Is it not down there where you are, Corey, now? Um, I don't, it probably is. It's not necessary though, because Georgia has now legalized raw milk. So, so yeah, I've moved to a much better state for that. (laughs) Um, actually I have people like 10 minutes away. I have not gotten raw milk from them, but I know that they sell it and we got, um, we've gotten other things from them. Um, well, I do want to say, I just checked out their raw milk operation yet. So I wasn't a hundred percent ready to buy milk from them. We probably should say that like, if you are buying raw milk, it's smart to know what you're, you know, who you're buying it from, check out their farm, um, all of that. I know we talked about that mm. on our sourcing episode, but I do feel like almost every time we mention raw milk, we should probably mention that. Yes. And um, there's a site called realmilk.com that the Weston A. Price Foundation sponsors, and it shows where you can get raw milk in your area. And some of the 
choices that the raw milk providers make themselves to self-regulate. Because one of the issues with raw milk is it's just kind of rogue, right? But it's wonderful, but you want to make sure that it's as wonderful as you hope. Um, And so some of the providers do follow their own little regulation system to make sure that it's sanitary conditions, you know, that the milk has is regularly tested for pathogens. And, uh, but I did, I did want to say that um, for any mamas listening who are like raw milk, what, what the heck is that? You know, it's real milk. It's milk like the calf would drink. And in the olden days, people would have cows and they would drink the milk just like the calf did. And there was no big deal about it. But then I think in their early twenties or something, um, people started getting sick, but it wasn't from the milk itself. It was from the conditions the cow was in. And Mm -hmm. so tuberculosis was on the rise. People got scared and that's when they started pasteurizing the milk. But in doing that, they killed not only pathogens that were coming from the unsanitary conditions, but they also killed the good stuff, the good enzymes and, you know, wonderful components of milk that kind of destroyed it actually. So pasteurized milk and real raw milk are two very different products. So you might want to look into it because a lot of people have found not only the nourishment of raw milk, but um, the taste is better. It's creamier. It's, it's just a whole different, it's a live product compared to a dead product that you might find a supermarket shelf. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that little blurb about raw milk with our listeners. Yeah, but I did want to say in a spirit of of vulnerability that my son hated raw milk when I started getting it, but he was one of the older ones. And um, I would, he would say, is that happy cow milk? Because I called it happy cow milk in the fridge. (laughs) Is that happy cow milk? I'm like, yes, darn it. Because I wasn't good at, you know, hiding it or whatever. I couldn't, and I, maybe I shouldn't hide it anyway. So but yeah, that was kind of, that made me sad, but it is, sometimes it's a little harder with the older ones, but, but when yeah, you, you do the, the best shakes? you can. Yeah. He did like the milkshakes. Yeah. <laughs> but just the, the, the milk itself, you know, if you get it in the winter, sometimes the cows are eating hay. So it has more of a hay taste, let's be honest, you know, um, but not in the spring when it's on, ga- on grass and stuff. So, but it's kind of a cool way to be more connected to animals and food, like knowing its provenance, you know, it's different than if you just get this semi-blue stuff in a jug. It's so interesting that he didn't, that he didn't like it because, so my husband has refused dairy products for years. He won't touch them. Except ice cream. Except ice cream. This is true. Um, But (laughs) uh, like he won't drink milk. He won't eat yogurt, you know, like things like that. And even now, you know, we've been on this uh, wise traditions journey for like five ish, almost seven years, I guess. And we went to a farm a, a month ago and he came with us and he listened to the entire spiel. He was so interested. He was asking incredible questions. And then at the very end, you know, I never expected him to try any, but at the very end, he tasted some of the raw milk and of his own accord, he went up to the farmer and he said, this is the best milk I've ever had in my life. I've never tasted milk like this before like this and and then he he told her the story about how when he was a child he did apparently used to drink like raw milk and then I guess at some point their family switched to like one percent or two percent or something I don't know and he said that milk was disgusting and so like trying this milk brought him back to his childhood like he was just like this was incredible I can't believe that this is what milk can taste like and it was one of those moments where I was like whoa this is so cool (laughs) 
That's amazing. Um, well, yeah, and yeah. I think my son, it, maybe it was part of like, you know, that independence, rebellious streak the kid gets like, well, if you made it, it's not as good as this other thing. And, you know, yeah, I, I could have been part of that situation because the truth is I think it tastes amazing and it's so rich in nutrients and all the good stuff. But yeah, he would have it in the milkshakes. It's true. I had something similar though when I was, because my mom tried to switch us to raw milk when I was about that age too. And we had already learned about like the reason you would pasteurize it. Like I'd already learned about germs at that age, right? Like, so I knew that germs are bad and, um, <laughs> you know, cause my science lessons had told me so. Um, <laughs> so by the time my mom was getting raw milk, I was like, uh, no mom, like, I know this is not what we're supposed to be doing because, you know, pasteurization was invented for a reason. Um, Anyway, totally anecdotal, but I did the exact same thing to my mom. Mm -hmm. So I think that has a lot to do with the age thing. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So what were your, I'm, I'm really curious what aside, you said the, the, um, BLTs and what meatloaf and hamburgers. Oh, and hamburgers. (laughs) Other than that, like, did, did you guys have like a solid, you know, Every Monday we had this every, how did you, how did you handle that? Because there's so much mm, overwhelm in Mm -hmm. deciding what to feed your family. I generally tell people like, just make whatever your favorite thing is, but just make it in a nourishing way. So what were your, the biggest hits aside from those BLT burger meatloaf? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was Did probably you try fish sticks. I'm curious. <laughs> oh gosh, no, no. Even though I used <laughs> to eat it before, but I, yeah, no. Um, picadillo, like a taco meat. Tacos were really popular in our home, and I would also make um, tostadas. Like I would get tortillas, nixtamalized tortillas, which you know you can get Ula brand at least where I live now, and um, saute them in lard. And then like cover them with cheese and stick them in the oven and add a little salsa, fermented salsa if you want. Or we would make nachos. Like a friend of mine was like, nachos, that's an appetizer, not a meal. But for us, it was a meal. I am big on just having like one main thing. Because if you try to make it like you were saying, you know, Thanksgiving, that's like way too much. It should just be simple. And my friend Hillary Boynton always says, simplicity is gourmet. And I love that. So it would be like, tacos and not a lot of extra stuff. Like, I mean, of course, tacos have lettuce and tomatoes and different things, but, you know, or burgers or BLTs, like there's just one main dish and then people just have to deal and eat that. But yeah, you, you hear in what I'm sharing, like meat was very central because, um, I think it has so many nutrients in it. Like it's not even just the organ meats that have vitamin B and a lot of the trace minerals. And, and, it, and of course, if you have butter or lard, then you're going to get the fat soluble vitamins, A, D, and K that are so important for kind of boosted mood and overall well-being, hormonal function, the kids' cognitive function, all the things. So, but yeah, I think Dr. Price noted that people around the world obviously ate very different diets, but those who ate more animal products had more of the fat soluble vitamins and those were the nutrient dense foods. This was his key finding is that the 
nutrient-dense food had more of the fat-soluble vitamins and those people were healthier than the people who ate, let's just say, more you know, vegetables and fruits, which are all very nice, but they don't have those B vitamins or the A, D, and K, like cheese, eggs, fish eggs, fish, um, meat, organ meats, like all those things. You can even hear they sound richer than the other stuff, the lighter fare. So that's what we want to seek out. And that's what I try to make central on the table. And yeah, I mean, you can also feed your family this way on a budget. Like I learned to roast a chicken. I used to think you had to buy the rotisserie chicken. I literally didn't know. I was just starting from scratch. Like you get a chicken, you put butter all over it and some garlic in it and put it in the oven. And after a while it comes out just like the ones you would get at some other Safeway or something, you know, I was like, wait, what? You can make this. And then that dish, that chicken would be for one night. Right. And then for the next night we pick off all the little pieces and make chicken tacos, for example. And then the next night we have the broth with it. So it's like, one, you cook once and try to eat as many times as you can off of that meal. But yeah, I wasn't fancy. I still am not super fancy. <laughs> Sometimes I'll just defrost, you know, some pork chops for me and my husband, one of my daughters who might be popping by. And I say to my husband, hey, can you make that while I'm on my way home after the podcast? And I come home and it's just pork chops. I'm like, wait, is there nothing else? <laughs> but it's okay because we can have a little fruit or whatever. Anything else is like a garnish as far as I'm concerned. You know, at this last uh, at this last conference, Dr. Bill Schindler, in his talk, he talked about how, for the first time in history, our brains, the human brain, is shrinking, and oh no. he believes it's because we have shied away as a society from animal foods. Because I don't know if you remember from his book and like uh, you know his talks and stuff. He explains how the reason why our brain grew and grew bigger was because we started introducing animal foods and we and we were hunting and consuming animal foods. That's why our brain grew bigger. And so now he's saying for the first time in history, our brain is starting to shrink. Wow. Like, Whoa. That's wild. I hadn't heard that. Um, but I did interview this man recently, Nutriermo, Guillermo Navarrete, he's known more in the Spanish-speaking community. But anyway, he was saying that he studied mother's milk for a long time. And of course, it's super nutrient-dense. I mean, imagine it's how God designed us to feed our babies for the first bunch of months before they get any other food. And he said, if they thrive on you know high-fat, cholesterol, like all those nutrients in that milk, why would we think they could thrive on you know, kicks and Skittles when they get older. Like we, they need the same kind of nourishment as growing children. And we do too. So he's really big on animal foods, this guy Guillermo. And I was just like, oh my gosh, preach. Like I, I'll eat other things too, but I just feel like I want to keep my brain from shrinking. So thank you for that good word. (laughs) (laughs) I need all my cells. Thank you very much. Yeah, right. (laughs) I feel like especially as, you know, like moms and all the stress that comes with that. Like, please, I just need to keep my brain functioning. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Can I ask a question that's totally off topic from what we're, we're discussing right now? Wait, what? Please do that because that's always my deal. I always ask the questions that are off topic and Uh, everybody's always like, oh, Corey's doing it again. (laughs) Now it's Christine's turn to ask Uh off topic questions conversation questions. Go for it. (laughs) All right. Hilda, 
why are you so obsessed with cold plunging? <laughs> like, how oh. did you get into that? And no, and I, and I like, I'm, I'm so curious to hear why it's something that you enjoy so much. Okay. Well, I want to start with this is I'm Latina, right? So I have Cuban and Mexican blood. I have no business liking the cold at all. <laughs> but what happened was, just like you all, the more I got to know people and I learned from them as I was interviewing them on the Wise Traditions podcast, someone challenged me to just get outside more. So that was step number one. It was actually Thaddeus Owen. He used to go by the Primal Hacker. Now he has some other Instagram name. But the point is, he said, Hilda, just get outside in the early morning hours within 30 to 45 minutes of sunrise and watch what happens. And I was like, what? I was a night owl. I was just like, you guys, once my kids are in bed, I was like, must wash clothes, must answer three emails, must do all the things I didn't get to do during the day, right? But what I did not know is I was wearing myself out even more. I didn't respect my sleep. I didn't understand anything about circadian rhythm. So I hope this is a good message for all moms right now is you have to leave the dishes in the sink. You have to leave some things undone. It's okay because you can get to it in the morning. Like literally there's the same amount of time. There could be two hours in the morning that equals the two hours you would spend from 10 to 12, let's say, working. So I I started to shift, Christine, basically. And so I started to get the morning sunlight. So I would get that morning sun and it would hit my pineal gland. It would set my circadian rhythm. It would optimize my hormonal function. I got tired earlier, of course, because I was up earlier. I mean, all the things, but it, this cascade of good things started to happen to me. And one was I just started to appreciate nature more and the environment. And my friend said to me, Hilda, we spend three quarters of our time inside. And now, by the way, the latest studies indicate it's like seven eighths of the day of the adult are spent indoors. And they are including time in the car as time outdoors, by the way. <laughs> it's crazy. So we spend oh so gosh. much of our time inside and it's just the opposite of how our ancestors lived. So we need to get outside. So this was the first step I took was getting the early morning sun. And again, you might be like, oh, I just want to sleep until my kids wake up and it's a little later. Fine. It doesn't have to be that close to sunrise, although the earlier, the better. Just get outside with them. Again, more is caught than taught. Just get outside. Tell them it's 10 minutes. This is our morning time. This is what we do if they like it or not. And so it doesn't matter the weather. That was step number two when I started to realize, oh, if my body is colder than usual, this has actually got some benefit to it. It builds my resilience. It, it challenges me. It forces my body to work. Some people say we're so sick because we're, again, acclimatized. In the winter, we heat our houses to about 68 to 70 degrees. In the summer, we cool them to that temperature. And so our bodies never have to work to keep the core temperature. Um, so I started experimenting with shiver walks, which is step number one to being challenged by the cold. And then as I got into that, then I started taking it to the next level, you know, going out in a tank and, and shorts in 30 degree weather. It was just, it got crazy. But the reason I did it was to push myself, to challenge myself, to build my resilience. And then I found out, oh my gosh, 
it's really good for the body. Like it lengthens the telomeres, which makes you live longer. It improves your cognitive function. It helps your circulation. And if some people don't want to do that, that's fine. You don't have to plunge. You don't have to shiver walk. You can just occasionally stick your face in a bowl of ice water or, you know, do different things like that. Take a cold shower. But I think a cold shower is harder because you have the water hitting you in different places. It's not as easy as just plunging in, in my opinion. But anyway, I find it really rejuvenating, to be honest. And, you know, I'm now older. Um, I don't know. I don't need to exactly say how old I am, but I'm older (laughs) than I seem. And I'm so thankful that kind of biochemically I'm younger. And it's because of, I think, the nutrient-dense food I take in, the self-care practice I have of breath work and prayer and all that, and definitely the cold thermogenesis. I I started... I did start doing it consistently at the end of last year. So I'm doing it three times a week now. Um, and it's only 52 degrees, which ironically, I used to swim in that water way back in the day when I was in my 20s, but I had a wetsuit on all the time. Um, so, but I actually, I've had a long time a hatred of cold water because I was in cold water for so many years of my life because of my, the sport that I was in. And so I grew this, like, I didn't like being wet to this day. I still don't like being wet. I don't like being wet and I don't like being cold. And so the thought of getting in a cold, wet environment was like the last thing I ever wanted to do. And, you know, I just kept seeing, you know, everyone do it. I shouldn't say everyone. That's <laughs> so not true. I all the peer pressure got to you. Right. All the peer pressure came on to me. All, you know, the people around me that I respected were doing it. And actually one person did tell me it's the one, it's the only time of the day in which I'm the most present. Like you are wow. the most present in that moment because it's so cold and it's so hard to do it you, there's nothing else for you to think about. Like you're literally just thinking about that. And I, and I thought, you know what, you're right. I'm going to do this for myself. And kind of what you were saying earlier, Corey, about doing things for yourself. It's, it's been incredible. It really has like changed my days to have, even though I'm only doing it three times a week, you know, like those days, I love them. I love being able to, I do the sauna and then I do the cold plunge. And it's just like, I feel amazing afterwards. It does. It it boosts your endorphins after. But the other thing I want to say is I think it also probably helps build your patience muscle because what you're doing when you get in the water is you're learning to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And how many times as a mom are you uncomfortable with the kids screaming or you're trying to like figure out, okay, how do I manage this situation? There's tension in our home right now. It's like, oh, I can be comfortable being uncomfortable. Like that's probably the best, the best benefit of the cold therapy, I think. And, and also when you can come overcome that resistance, like, I don't really feel like getting in, but I'm going to do it anyway. Then, then you feel like, okay, I can do anything today, even managing, you know, a whining kid. I did get in our pool today, but it was like 72 degrees, but it felt super cold. (laughs) So now I, can I be on, can I be on your cool team now? Yes. Yes. Because the other thing is that I did learn from my friend, the primal hacker. He's like, you don't have to like be in this like ice hole in Minnesota. For me, that's just kind of fun because I do like to take things all the way. But he's like, if you can just 
have a difference between the ambient temperature and the water and you bring your skin temperature down, let's say, I don't know, by 10 or 20 degrees, like that is enough to give you the benefits of cold thermogenesis. So yes, you're in the club, Corey. Is it sure. really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay. Seriously. Cause Ryan and I were talking about this because he heard on Rogan cause you know, I've been saying cold plunges are good for you forever, but now that he's heard it on Rogan, it's obviously a thing. Um, he was telling me that he wants to get a cold plunge pool. And I'm like, dude, you have to like prove to me that you're going to get into the pool every morning before we buy a cold plunge pool. But he was like, well, it's not that cold because obviously the air is not that cold. So our pool is not that cold. Um, but it's about in the middle of the day today, it was about 72 or three. And I didn't get all the way in. I like got up to my knees because I was wearing shorts. I didn't want to, I wasn't wearing any bathing suit. So I got like up to about, I don't know, like right above my knees. And I was like, this feels freezing. Like it feels so cold. But, but if it's, is it really so that it says it doesn't have to be like 32 degrees or whatever? No. I mean, that's freezing, right? No, but- it doesn't have to be that degree. I, I'll have to get back to you so you can put it in the show description, the exact, um, temperature or the amount in which you need to, the contrast you need to experience to achieve the right benefits. But I remember my friend saying it does not have to be that cold. Interesting. Okay. That's really interesting. Um, Okay. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, because I know that you and I have, I think, had this conversation before because you've, you talk so much about the importance of sleep and, um, as somebody whose children are still not sleeping through the night, that can sometimes feel like, and actually I feel like this with a lot of the um, biohacker type people, you know, they're like very much, they, they talk a lot about sleep or they talk a lot about like things that I feel like are nearly impossible for me in my stage of life. Um, and cold plunging, can seem impossible maybe if you don't have the equipment or you don't have the, you know, tools or whatever. Um, but like you said, you can go outside if it's chilly or, um, but, but sleep feels almost impossible Hmm. some, some nights. And I'm curious what you would say, because I know that you and I have talked about it and I've kind of just been like, Hilda, I just don't, like, I don't know how to get there because I have, I'll go to, you know, my kids just don't sleep through the night. Like two of them do, but two of them mostly don't. Um, Mm. And it's not like I'm not in the point of life where I have a newborn that's waking up a lot. Um, Not that that was that long ago, but I have a five-year-old that comes into my bed in the middle of the night. And I have a two and a half-year-old who um, has just started sleeping in her own bed and almost every night wakes up at least two or three times because she just needs to make sure that, you know, somebody is nearby. Um, so anyway, I would love to hear what you have to say to either the, the woman who has a newborn and she's waking up all the time to, to breastfeed and she's feeling like there's no way I can get adequate sleep or I don't know, to the mom who's has, you know, has, not had adequate sleep in 10 years or whatever. Oh my gosh. I feel for you. Oh my gosh. My husband and I used to call 
the first six weeks after we had a baby, we called a baby boot camp because it was you so forget, right? <laughs> challenging. Yes. Oh my gosh. And I was, and we would always remember too, that sleep deprivation is a form of torture. You know, mm-hmm. it really is in the military and another prisoners of war, they deprive them of sleep. It's exhausting. And so there's a reason you feel more kind of on your last nerve with the kids sometimes and stuff, because you're just tired. And I would say, the first thing I would say to that mama is, give yourself grace, you know, give yourself grace. It's, if you're exhausted, everything is that much harder. And you're in a stage where some of these things are out of your control. And so maybe the little tip we were giving for cold thermogenesis will serve you in this moment to remember, okay, I can be comfortable being uncomfortable at this stage. So when that little one comes in your room, one more time. And you were just like, if I could just get a straight eight hours, I would, it'd be better than sex. You know, it would just be so amazing. (laughs) I would be so happy right now. You know, I totally remember those days. And even then speaking of sex, like you're telling your husband, like, please don't paw on me. Leave me alone. (laughs) The last thing I want is someone else going after my body when I just want to sleep uninterrupted. Right. So I get it. I get it. So, but give yourself grace is number one. And I would also say, Yeah. Try to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Just like, in other words, don't fight it because I have a little biohacker aura ring, you know, that kind of shows me what my sleep is like. And I don't have anybody waking me up in the middle of the night. Well, sometimes my cat might scratch at my door, but um, I do still have sleep and wake cycles. Surprisingly, in other words, even if I think I slept a solid eight hours, I'll look at my ring and it said, you moved at this time and you were awake for 15 minutes and I didn't even recognize it, you know? So Don't think you're shortchanging yourself because you're not. You're in a stage that has this demand of you and there will be a time when you will be able to sleep in a different way, maybe more profoundly, and that's great. But do what you can to make your space sleep friendly. Avoid the blue light at night. These are things I know you know, Corey, but maybe not everyone's aware that if you're on your screen, you think, oh, I'm just going to chill and watch something on TV before I go to sleep now that the kids are in bed. That blue light messes with your circadian rhythm, your melatonin release, it hinders the profundity of your sleep and how much your sleep can repair and restore your body. So what you want to do is try not to be on devices at night, or if you do, do like I'm doing right now and wear blue blocking glasses um, so that you're shielding your eyes and your pineal gland and your, your body from thinking it's a different time of day than it is. So yeah, avoid the screens at night, get your room dark and cool, do the best you can to set yourself up for success, understanding that you might have to just be comfortable being uncomfortable right now. I like that advice. I am going to remember that. There's so many uh, aspects of life that it's applicable to. So, all right. I have one more question before we leave. Or, I mean, I don't know if we're leaving, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so curious. How did you meet Sally Fallon? And how did you get involved with the foundation? Oh, that's a great question. So, It was my friend Lisa that met her, that told me about her, this amazing person. And, um, you know, I mean, I got her book. I was kind of overwhelmed by it. It's a, it's a thicky, you know? And I was like, oh my (laughs) gosh, I just don't know where to start with this. You start reading it. It's not just a recipe book. I was like, this has so much information in it. I couldn't handle it. Um, but, um, I mean, if you really want to know the story, 
it's it's kind of interesting. It's just the way God weaves things in, right? So my friend Lisa was the sick one I mentioned earlier, right? And she's the one that told me nourishing traditions, blah, 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 blah. So Lisa at one time had been in Africa. Um, I think she went with some mission group. And so she was sick, 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 sick for years. And she decided, I'm going to send my African friends, some Maasai people, some pastors I met over there, some of the Western Price brochures, because she found some relief by eating the wise traditions way. She still had other issues she had to deal with, but she sent them all this information. And the Maasai warrior contacted her and the foundation and said, please send someone over. We're all getting sick. He goes, I have diabetes. My wife has asthma. This information is valuable. I mean, I could tell my tribe about it, but we need someone to come from afar for them to kind of take it seriously. So Lisa told me she had done this. I heard through her that they were getting in touch with the foundation to see if they could send someone over. So I reached out to Sally and said, hey, Sally, I'd be happy to go. I mean, I was a chapter leader maybe at the time or a member. Um, and she's like, okay, you can go. And then we'll just put something in the journal and see who else signs up. She goes, I don't think many people will be interested. Well, of course, she got flooded. The office got flooded with people who wanted to go. But I was the first one to raise my hand. So it was kind of serendipitous and then beautiful because it was after that trip that I was like, oh, my goodness, this Maasai warrior um, and, and his elders in the tribe understood something of the ancestral wisdom. I was like, don't eat our way, you guys. Eat your way, I told them. And then I started interviewing them and just grabbing my iPhone and asking them some questions. And I thought, gosh, we need to have a way to get this information out that's in audio form, lifting up the voices of those who are still living these traditional ways, but then also the experts that the foundation knows. And so when I got back from the trip, I said, hey, Sally, you should have a podcast. And to my surprise, she said, okay. And so it was so cool because, it, as you know, it's had millions of downloads. And I have had the chance to lift up some indigenous voices in addition to these experts who understand ancestral wisdom. So it's just been so beautiful. So that's kind of how I got involved. And I'm just ever so grateful because I know it's changed my life. And now I'm helping to change others by being a, a vehicle of communication of this ancestral wisdom. Wow. I love that story. That's really cool. I didn't realize that you actually went to go see the Maasai. I oh did. I did. And it was, I mean, unforgettable. And I mean, I could tell you so many stories. I'll just tell you one that I met a woman and all these women were still wearing their traditional clothing, like the beaded earrings and the beaded necklaces and the traditional capes and colors. I mean, it was just amazing. And I couldn't believe I was sitting like in this Maasai home with all these women in their traditional clothing. It just blew my mind. I'm like, I was so glad that the message was bigger than me. You know, it's not like just me saying, hey, here's some health tips, eat keto. You know, no, it wasn't like that. I was like, you guys have to eat what served your people. And they were like, yes, they embraced it. It was amazing. Um, but at one point I was talking to uh, one of Dixon he was the warrior that contacted the foundation, one of Dixon's relatives. And she was sitting there in her traditional tribal clothing. And in one hand, she had a chai tea full of refined sugar. And in the other hand, she had a white bread jam sandwich. And I was like, what is happening? It's like they had one foot in their traditions and one foot in the modern world. And this is exactly what Dr. Price saw when he traveled the world some people were still sticking to their traditional ways, but others were being, 
They were compromising their diet and they were the ones getting sick. So what Dixon observed in his own people, I was observing there too. But happily at the end of my visit, they decided as a community, starting today, we were going to cook our traditional foods. And I was like, wow, I hope the ladies feel good about this because some of the men were like making this big dictum, you know. But I went back a year later and they had started to eat more of their traditional foods and leave some of the other things behind. And it was so beautiful to see. And again, I'm just so grateful that the wise traditions that, you know, I celebrate today are not mine or Sally's or you know, they don't belong to just one people group. They are of the world. And I, I hope to keep getting the word out. Yeah, that's so important. And I think it's fascinating that, that you know, you, you've been to so many different cultures at this point and you've experienced and seen all of these different, you know, like Dr. Price did, all these different ways of, um, of communities doing these things that are nourishing them at a, on a spiritual level, on a, um, emotional level, on a community level, on a, on a, um, physical level. And, and I know you can, I'm sure you can see the similarities between them, right? Would do you want to touch on that just a little bit? Like what are some of the similarities that you have noticed? I know we talked a little bit in the very beginning mm-hmm. about the, the sort of multi-generational level that these or, or community that, that these people groups have, but what, what else have you noticed um, in these different places that you've, you've been to? Yeah. Uh, it's such a good question. I, I like alliteration, which is why I go by holistic Hilda <laughs> and I like sharing things in simple terms, maybe because I like kids a lot too. And I'm working on some kids projects right now, you guys, a little, disclosure. So stay tuned on that front. Um, But so I have my five favorite ancestral secrets that I've seen across the board and communities around the world. Um, The first is sun. They are getting much more sun than we are. And nowadays, at least in the developed countries or develop, you know, the more industrialized nations like the US or the UK or whatever, like we are afraid of the sun and we want to wear sunglasses and sunscreen and cover ourselves up. But the sun is actually, as I've heard it put, like the greatest multivitamin ever. It nourishes us. It it revs the mitochondria, the little cells, the little engines in our cells. It 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 feeds us in a way we're light eaters. You know, everything we eat has been touched by light, produce, animals, and or it should be touched by light. Uh, so the sun plays a central role. And this is why maybe in some ancient cultures, they even worshiped it, right? Because they knew it was life-giving. So I think we need more sunshine. And I definitely recommend the early morning sun as I did earlier. So I'm big on sunshine, um, shivers, I say, but it's just getting outside in nature. They have a profound respect for it around the world. And in the Quechua culture in Ecuador, they call it Pachamama, you know, Mother Earth. And they recognize the bounty it gives and they connect with it and respond to it in kind and beautiful ways. So the sunshine, the shivers, sleep, we already mentioned, but they they revere that. When the lights go down, they're not on their devices. Maybe around a fire, you know, that's really the ancestral way. Um, and that doesn't have any blue light, so it doesn't interfere with their melatonin production or release. It it doesn't interfere with the hormonal function, all the things. So we, you know, need to mimic some of these things. So sunshine, shivers, sleep, sustenance, we also touched on. They eat more single food 
single ingredient foods, real whole foods that our grandparents or our great grandparents would recognize as food. Like I said, the meat, the eggs, the fish, the um, the produce, you know, simple things. It doesn't need to be fancy. And then last but not least, there's a spirit element. You know, I everywhere I go, there's a recognition that um, there's more to life than meets the eye and a gratitude. Even if there's somebody listening who's like, oh, I don't believe in that God stuff. Like, you know, hit pause right now on this podcast, or then maybe they turned it off a while ago. I don't know. But <laughs> gratitude has been shown to rewire the brain. And what if instead of, you know, begrudging the fact that it's time to make another meal, what if we leaned in and thought, I'm grateful I have food to prepare. I'm grateful that I have food to give my children. And it's actually good food. Like this is something to be grateful for. Like gratitude can change everything. I read a book years ago called A Thousand Gifts by, um, I think, Ann Voskamp. And she just talked about be thankful for the smallest things, the the bubbles that form when you're washing a plate and you've got the sponge on it and a little extra soap or, you know, the way the light is shining through onto your cat that's on the dining room table, even though it shouldn't be, you know, those, those little things, you know, the fact that your kid brought you a drawing right when you were ready to get mad at them and say, why are you traipsing mud in the house? You know, it's just gratitude changes everything. And so, yeah, those are five important commonalities that I think can help us have the shift that we need to be the calm in the eye of the storm, as you were asking earlier, Christine, like, how can we be calm? How can we be peaceful? How can we be that lovely hub in the home? I think these five elements are a good place to start. Yep. I love it. I feel like we need to have an applause um, soundtrack <laughs> <right> there. Yay! <laughs> that was like such a great ending um yeah hilda is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners or anything else that you want to cover we feel like that wrapped it up really nicely yeah no i i do i do feel it it did yeah just you know the bible says love covers a multitude of sins it's really true you don't have to be perfect mamas you're you are the perfect mama for your kids. There's a reason you're in the role you're in. So love it, love on them, do the best you can, apologize when you make mistakes. You're you're modeling something beautiful for them, even in your imperfection. I think I've heard it said that like the sun can shine best through cracked vessels, you know? So like, don't feel like you have to be totally perfect and hold it all together if you break it's okay. There's going to be beauty even in the broken pieces. So just love on your kids, do the best you can and, and give yourself grace. Oh, that was so sweet. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, all right. For those that don't know where to find you, can you share with us where our listeners can connect with you? Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, I just want to say I love getting together with people in person. This is one reason I love the Wise Traditions Conference. This is one reason I keep traveling the world. I'm like, who can I meet next? I just love it so much. So go to holistichilda.com and you'll go to my event page and you can see all the places I'm going because I'm going all over the place because I love to be with people. So I'll be in Texas in April. I'll be maybe in Miami in May. In June, I'm having a van at Polyface, you know, so I'm just doing all these fun things, which is awesome. And I love it. So holistichilda.com. I'm on Instagram at holistichilda. And of course, people can find me on YouTube, holistichilda. And 
on the Wise Traditions podcast. Which just hit how many downloads? Over 10 million. Woohoo! It's a lot. <laughs> incredible. I'm so glad that you that a party was thrown for you and for the podcast celebrating that. That's just I I saw all the footage from it on social media. I was like, man, I really want to be there. I thought about it for a split second. I thought about just booking a ticket and going for one day. Um, but my life was complicated that weekend. So, Oh, shoot. <laughs> Another time. We'll, we'll celebrate when we hit 100 million. The, yes. Oh, man. I was going to say when you hit 20 million. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shooting big. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, well, Hilda, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us and sharing your wisdom. I mean, this, this was just so special, such a huge pleasure. And, um, yeah, I, I'm sure our listeners will think the same thing. (laughs) I'm really glad I came on. I'm glad you guys had me. I do hope what I had to say was encouraging. I also want to add a little, um, anecdotal personal thing people (laughs) I guess like the first time I met you I had met somebody I was we were I was going to a chapter leaders event or a chapter event in Maryland and the person who was hosting it was like oh yeah well Hilda will be here and I was like oh what because I'd listened to the podcast right and um (laughs) and I was like I just need to know like is she actually as happy all the time as she seems? And, and this, the person that I was talking to was like, yeah, like she's actually that joyful in real life. And then I met you and I know you don't remember this because this was, you didn't know who I was at this point, but I knew who you were at this point. Um, (laughs) And, and, and you really, you really are this like genuinely joyful and wonderful and, and giving and generous with your time. So I just want to say on a personal level, thank you for all of that. Thank you for all of the things that you bring to the Wise Traditions podcast. I know a million people, not a million, what, what is it? How many people? 10 million. <laughs> 10 million. 10 million people have um, benefited from all of that information that you've, you've shared. So thank you. That means a lot, Corey. Thank you so much. That's it. That's all we got. So yeah, yeah, this is, this is, we are closing out guys. Um, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to modern ancestral mamas. Check out the show notes for the resources. You can find Christine on Instagram at nourish the littles and online at nourish You can find Corey on Instagram at for nutrient sake and online at for nutrient Follow us on Instagram at Modern Ancestral Mamas. The information contained in this show is for informational purposes only. It should not be intended as medical advice and should not replace your relationship with your healthcare practitioner.